Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me today is surprise, surprise, Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Bruce, we're we're back at home. Is this a new Delta or Omicron wave kicking in? No, I'm about to get going on a flight, and you're just coming back from the doctor. But we don't need <laughs> the uh, viewers to be uh, uh, getting any more information on that. Let's let's talk about a week where. Quite frankly, we have not had um, much in the way of, of, of new and interesting data. Uh, and in fact, what we had been expecting, the Chinese releases for the third quarter in September have been delayed. Uh, we're not going to get into the theories about what might be happening there. Uh, let's let's stay on a little bit firmer ground here. <laughs> Insert your own conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> let's stay on a little firmer ground and, and, and address some issues. Of course, we've got a lot of key central bank meetings coming up, the ECB and BOJ next week, and then the following week, uh, the Bank of England and and the Fed. Um, and I think we should talk about what these central banks not only are doing, but what messages they're going to send to us. But I think the key issue still remains to what degree are central banks moving in a way that's appropriate? Uh, what degree are they behind the curve on inflation? And what degree might they be pushing in a way that could be creating financial stress and actually breaking something. So there's the two sides of that story right now. Um, let's start perhaps uh, with the breaking side, because that certainly is something we've been talking about a lot. How concerned should we be about financial stress, uh, tightening financial conditions here, both from the perspective of it weighing heavily on, on the economy, but also from the point of view of creating an independent shock to the system? Well, I mean, it's it's always a risk in general, and I think the GFC certainly reminded us that this is uh, a risk that we should be, uh, you know, quite quite aware of. Uh, you know, I, I actually, and of course, the what happened in the UK was a, a reminder that in a world where we've raised rates three hundred plus basis points, that things can go bump in the night, and uh, while we don't think there's a direct read through of the UK, that something could could go wrong there are plumbing related issues that we are un, unaware of uh i would i actually well i'm i fully accept that and and it is a a real risk there is a, a counterpoint to that and that is i think central banks have learned a ton since the gfc right that we are in a different world and if this were a pre gfc period i think the the risk would be much more much more kind of uh serious but we've had a stress test with a pandemic. We, I think we wrote a lot about how remarkable it was that central banks moved quickly to provide liquidity and were able to backstop where the pressures were building. And that's a reminder that they have learned how to use their balance sheet in a way that they never even dreamed of before the GFC. And so while I don't know where the shocks are going to come, uh, and there probably will be shocks coming, I actually have a lot more confidence that central banks, one, have the tools to deal it, and two, know how to move fairly rapidly to whatever kind of shocks come. So I, I, I'm not saying this kind of gets us to get out of jail free card here, but it it does it, it does counter the, the the risk. It tempers the the downside risk of something breaking. Well, I would I'd be a little more kind of balanced there in the sense that I agree with you that central banks have responded to the GFC. Um, uh, crisis, uh, both in terms of being far more 
careful on how they uh, make sure their banks have backstops, uh, making sure funding is more available both in local markets and in dollar facilities. And I think that's a very important um, cushion against the potential spillovers that financial events have had. However, um, central banks have not perhaps learned that much about forecasting inflation. Um, and uh, they may be more reactive here than uh, proactive in a world in which uh, um, they have uh, obviously uh, become worried that their credibility has been hurt a little bit. That's sort of one thing is that they just go too far. But I think the other thing here, which is um, important, is that while they are far more um, positioned to deal with the kinds of financial stresses that happened in the post-GFC environment, um, there are new types of things that have happened that they're not as well prepared to deal with, uh, particularly the, the surge in activity on the non-bank, non-regulated space. And I think then more generally, there is the issue here. And I think there's a little bit of this in what we saw with the pension fund uh, stress in the UK, um, that when we move interest rates uh, from having been very low for very long, uh, there are uh, decision-making, there's activity, there's balance sheet positions that have been um, uh, skewed in the direction of, of that uh, uh, environment that are now getting shocked in an important way. So I, and I think it is a little bit um, um, you know, of a balance here. I think we not only have, as you said, the uh, lessons of the central bank. We also have the fact that the post-GFC environment was one where neither households or businesses in the major economies levered up on credit or on uh, on levels of durable spending. That helps us. Um, but I, I do think something's going to happen here um, in a world in which we still have more activity happening from central banks. Now, having said that, uh, one thing we've been emphasizing, and I think it's worth continuing on this theme, is the idea that central banks are not the only act in town. Uh, and and notwithstanding uh, the problems that the UK fiscal authorities got themselves into, there is actually a lot going on on the fiscal side, much of which is actually helping to cushion some of the uh, blows of both the tightening of monetary policy as well as the, um, uh, the shocks that are going through the system in terms of Europe's natural gas uh, price crisis. So why don't we say a few words about that? Yeah, I mean, I I think this kind of goes into the the bucket of the the theme we've been you and I have been pushing, which is that the the the, the odds of a near term recession have actually been been going down, and part of that is the big fall in inflation that's going to boost purchasing power, yeah. uh, but another part of it is the the fiscal policy, which is you know cushioning as you, as you put it uh, a lot of the inflation surge that we had earlier in the year and particularly in Europe where actually the inflation surge is is still continuing uh you know it's it's tempting to look at the huge decline in deficits that we've seen and and then read that through to a, a tightening in fiscal policy i think you know the IMF just put out their um you know financial their outlook and and they're showing deficits falling from roughly what like 9% down to maybe 4% um 9 so, 9 to 4 and a half i think simply yeah think. which which you might say oh that's a big tightening but of course we know we know two things that are happening there one is a lot of the emergency supports from the pandemic are rolling off but we also know that there's just been a huge surge in nominal activity and that's generating a lot of revenues which is helping governments get their fiscal balances in order beneath the surface you are seeing kind of structural 
you know, deficits and, you know, move in the direction of providing cushioning. And we keep seeing kind of more details given on the European uh, package to, to try to cushion the natural grass price surge. Uh, and you have the, in the U.S., you have things around the, the kind of student loan debt relief. And you also have the COLA adjustments, which I think are going to add about $106 billion uh, to household pocketbooks when you come January. Uh, so there's a number of things, uh, is that including you, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet. I saw you smiling. <laughs> well, I was thinking that it's not it's not broadly distributed, but uh, yeah, yeah. Go okay. on. <laughs> so you know, so the point here is that while deficits are coming down, and that's that actually is a good thing. Um, you know, beneath the surface, there are a lot of fiscal policy supports that are tempering the sharp rise in borrowing costs and and the uh, kind of desire of central banks to take a little steam out. And the fiscal is kind of making sure that we maybe we don't fall into a near term recession. If I can make two other brief points on that, that I think is important from the outlook. One is that as you describe the things rolling off, um, I think their impact was reasonably significant in the first half of the year where we saw government spending in the uh, in the G4 actually contract. Uh, that's not a common thing to see. Um, and um, I think on the side of the supports that are coming in here that you mentioned, uh, they're coming in in the second half of the year, some of which will carry over into early next year. The second thing is the supports that you're getting from um, uh, the energy price shock in Europe and, and some of the other supports, even the infrastructure spending supports in China, those probably have relatively short lags in contrast to the monetary policy transmission, which has relatively long lag. And I think all that feeds into the idea that there's probably a little more cushion here than people perceive um, in in the world in which we're seeing tighter financial conditions. It's not going to probably last that long. And I don't want to argue that over the space of a year or 18 months, it's going to dominate monetary policy. It's going to be quite the opposite to that. But in the next six months or so, I think people are going to be surprised the role fiscal policy plays here in the well, I think that that's an important point right that again this is something we've been pushing that it's all about timing and that the resilience that we think is going to sustain us through a near-term recession to avoid a near-term recession carries with it the seeds of its own demise because the the stronger and the more resilient kind of aggregate demand is uh, and kind of seems to be running ahead of supply and keeps pressure on underlying inflation, the more likely it is central banks are going to feel the need to actually put the brakes on more. But that's going to take time to build, which is why we probably put the risks as a, a, a bit higher of more of a recession, not in the next few months here, but rather looking into the second half of next year or maybe even early 24. Um. So with that, let's turn to the central banks for next week. We've got the ECB and the BOJ up. Obviously, the Fed and Bank of England follow, but let's talk about the calls there. It's it's probably less interesting what they do as to what they say, because it is about the forward guidance. But what are we going to look for there? Well, I think on the ECB, we're looking for 75 uh, basis points uh, hikes, and we see probably another 75 coming thereafter, I believe. I think we have them getting to about 2% uh, before pausing as we think the region falls into a recession. I, I think, um, you know, this is going to be a balancing act for the ECB, because if we were right that they do fall into a mild recession, 
it's there's the optics of you know on the inflation on the one hand but a recession on the other do what do that how much tightening do they do here and so i think kind of providing some um some reassurances that central banks are going to make good on their inflation uh remit but also not drive the economy into a, a deep recession um that that's not an easy one uh and so there's that there's there's some kind of issues around TLTROs and maybe the generosity of those, uh, you know, to banks in a world with a rising rate environments and kind of offering cheap, cheap loans to the banks. Um, that also is kind of, it might be some, some color on, on that, but, uh, I think that's more second order in my opinion about just kind of managing the, the, the guidance of where they're going in a world where a mild recession is, is, is on deck here. And then we have the BOJ, and uh, I, I think the the call we have is that uh, this is going to be a relatively uninteresting meeting, but we are starting to see pressure build uh, that we think uh, will deliver a YCC uh, rate level adjustment sometime before the end of the first quarter, and then ultimately actually get them on path to be raising policy rates probably sometime uh, later next year. That's a big shift, and obviously they've been the the laggard among the the major central banks. Um, and um, you know, we just think that not only the pressure you're seeing in uh, Japanese financial markets, particularly the currency, but also the inflation news, which now looks like it's getting close to two percent. And it's not just uh, the price data; it's also the wage data that's moving up. We had a uh, a signal that the spring wage rounds might give you as much as three percent um, uh, annualized gains in in wages when they're uh, realize sometime early next year. Uh, I'll just yeah, say, I, I, I would just add to that, that Bruce, I mean, you, you started that discussion by saying that they're going to feel pressure. Um, I mean, my sense is Kuroda's, you know, he, he's been around a while and he's going to stick to his guns on what he believes. He's not going to be forced into acting against what he thinks is right. So pressure is not, the right word per se. I think everything you laid out is right. I think I think he's going to look around and say, "Oh, mission accomplished, right? I don't need to be holding YCC where it's at because I've achieved what it, you know, what I set out to do." If he doesn't believe inflation is sustainable, then I don't think he will make the adjustment. I think you'd have to wait until he leaves, which, by the way, comes in March and you get someone someone new stepping in. Uh, but our call is actually that you do make that progress, as you noted, inflation and wages. That 3%, I think, is the largest we've seen in more than two decades if that comes to fruition. Um, you know, you can then step back if you're Kuroda and say, good, mission accomplished. Let's start to, to, to dial things up a bit. So, okay. And just the last thing I'll say is we have not changed our call on the Bank of England where we're still looking for a 75 basis point hike, uh, the week after, uh, next. And, and that was a good, part, that was a good call, right? I mean, cause I think markets well, at one point were pointing to 250 basis point hike. <laughs> Well, we'll see. We still haven't gotten yeah, that's there true. But, um, <laughs> in the wild world of the UK. <laughs> but part of that is connected to the idea that um, on the 31st, we're going to see uh, the OBR's assessment, and then that's going to be right. accompanied by another significant fiscal tightening. So the UK, oddly, has uh, gone from a situation where it looked like it was being irresponsible and pushing uh, too far on the stimulus side, and now it looks like it's going to go so far on the tightening side that we're going to actually, we actually did take down our GDP forecasts 
have a deeper recession, uh, have a slow, uh, really perhaps more interesting is we don't really have much of a recovery now in the forecast as we go through 23. Is that is that more of like an own goal from the financial market stress, the fallout from that? Or is that a sense that fiscal policy is changing? Because I thought actually the biggest near-term supports for fiscal from fiscal were the energy subsidies. Now, are, are they dialing those back as well? Oh yeah, I mean, he yeah, went okay. hunt, hunt on Monday basically only committed to the energy package through April, and now you have the prospect of a major break towards prices going up for consumers and a big uh, drag on income. Some of that will probably be tempered uh, with some supports for low-income households, but you are going to have more than just a reversal of the tax uh, cuts. Also, you've had a reversal of some of the energy price cuts, and there's going to be more pressure to show medium-term fiscal um, responsibility. So all of that adds up to a weaker outlook for the UK on growth as a result of that. Uh, we've kept the Bank of England pretty much on the same path, which is to get to about uh, four and a quarter uh, by the first quarter of next year. Um, but uh, the economy does, does worse. Uh, and obviously, credibility of policy is still in, in play here as we don't know who the new uh, prime minister is going to be. Yeah. So let's let's Are you throw that, your hand on, in the ring, Bruce. On that note, let's leave it there <laughs> and uh, hope that we can continue the conversation as we go next week on JP Morgan TV. Thank you very much.